And likewise, God has given us spiritual senses with which we can interact with the spiritual world. Hello, friends, and welcome. Thanks so much for listening. In this episode, I'd like to continue talking about Kingdom Living 201. So it's not super basics, not talking about who is Jesus and what is the Bible, but it's not super advanced because I'm not super advanced. So I'm just sharing useful things that I've picked up on my journey living as a son in the kingdom of God. And today I'd like to talk about developing our spiritual senses. And so we have five physical senses with which we interact with the visible created world. We have our sense of hearing, our sense of sight, our sense of taste, our sense of smell, and our sense of touch. And likewise, God has given us spiritual senses with which we can interact with the spiritual world. So we have a spiritual sense uh, that mirrors our physical senses. And we have to refine those. We have to develop those. Just like if you see someone who has lost one of their physical senses, frequently their other senses will be very sharp and very refined. I once heard a story about Andrea Bocelli, who is blind, who's the famous Italian tenor, but he was talking about how he boils noodles, and he does it completely by the sound of the water. He listens to how the water is moving, and he knows when to put the noodles in and when to take them out. And so he's really refined his sense of hearing because he was unable to see. So likewise, we have to refine our spiritual senses. We get so dependent and so accustomed to living in the physical world, frequently we neglect altogether our spiritual senses, or we might be unaware of the variety of spiritual senses available to us, or we just don't lean into them as frequently as we ought. Jesus said, I only do what I see my Father doing. He said, and as I hear, I judge. So Jesus was in touch with his Father through these spiritual senses, and likewise, we need to be attuned. We need to refine our spiritual senses Recently, I've been reading the book Everyday Holiness by Alan Marinus, and it's subtitled The Jewish Spiritual Path of Musar. And it's not a Christian book, but it is this school of Jewish thought based on the Torah, based on the Old Testament. And one of the observations he makes in this book is we have this internal drive to improve ourselves and to grow as human beings. And all too frequently, that manifests itself as a desire to buy new things and to acquire an ever-increasing amount of material stuff. And and what he talks about in this book is that the true internal drive is to grow spiritually. And I think learning how to develop our senses is part of growing in our relationship with God. Otherwise, how do we communicate? How do we have a relationship with a person that we can't hear We can't see, we can't touch, we can't grab onto, we can't text, we can't call. Well, we have to relate to God in the Spirit, as I've already talked about in one of the other Kingdom Living series, that God is a Spirit. So we have to learn how to relate to Him in the Spirit, and the way we do that is through developing our spiritual senses. So let's dive right in. We're just going to look at passages that talk about our spiritual senses so that we'll be aware that we have them, and then we can start thinking about how can we develop these senses? Are there disciplines that we can incorporate into our lives so that we can have a greater experience of Emmanuel, God with us? So let's begin with the sense of hearing. 
Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Down in verse 22, it says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 15, it says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. In John chapter 10, this is where Jesus is talking about himself as the good shepherd. And he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes out before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. So there's an interesting YouTube video of a shepherd calling his sheep by name and a, a stranger then calling him. You could go look for that on YouTube, but it just shows how, how true that is, that sheep know the voice of their shepherd and they follow them, even though sheep aren't particularly intelligent. Um, but likewise, we as believers hear the Lord's voice and need to learn how to recognize his voice and respond to him. And this is different. Uh, I, I've found that different flavors of believers express this in different ways. I grew up in a tradition where, you know, it was kind of blasphemous almost to say that God told you something. It was as if you were claiming equal status as the scripture. But as I met believers from other traditions who use that language very kind of easily and loosely, you know, God told me to park here. God told me to go into this store. At first, I found that kind of offensive and and like, come on, God didn't tell you where to park or whatever. But the, the more I was around them, I realized really what they were articulating with this phrase, God told me, was what someone from my tradition and my background might say, I felt the Lord leading me, which is kind of a little bit of softer language that maybe leaves a little bit more margin for error to say, oh, I felt like maybe the Lord was leading me to do this, whereas people from other traditions would just say, oh, God told me to do this. But it's that internal witness, that internal stirring of the Holy Spirit. And different believers from different backgrounds may phrase it differently. I had this leading to do this, or felt like the Lord was burdening me with this, or you know, God was convicting me to do this, whereas other believers might say, the Lord told me. I heard the Lord saying, Uh, But it's that internal witness where if we can tune in to uh, the Lord, remember Proverbs says that the spirit of the man is the lamp of the Lord. So God is speaking to us, interacting with us, spirit to spirit. Our spirit has actually been joined with the Lord, according to 1 Corinthians 6, 17. So if we can create space to become aware of the Lord communicating with us in our spirit, we can become more attentive to those promptings of the Holy Spirit, regardless of how we choose to describe them. I believe they're there for every believer, because Jesus says that they will be. All right, let's talk about seeing in the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says this, We look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So looking how to fix our eyes on things unseen it can be challenging, but this is the invitation of Scripture. In Matthew thirteen fifteen, the Lord says this, For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, 
lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. So it's possible for our spiritual senses to grow dull. We don't hear with our ears. We can barely hear. Or he says their eyes, they have closed. He's clearly not talking about their physical eyes or their physical ears. He's talking about their spiritual perception, their spiritual senses. And they've closed their eyes. And so the invitation of the Lord is to have our eyes open. Like Paul prays in Ephesians 1.18, he says, having the eyes of your heart enlightened so that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. So Paul prays that the eyes of the believer's hearts would be open, that we would be awakened and, and alert and attentive in our spirits to the revelation of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, it says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So as we behold Jesus, we become like him. We reflect his glory. Uh, Psalm 115 verse 8 talks about that those who make idols become like them. It's We become like what we worship. That's why what we worship is so important. We want to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. Then it's so important that we behold him, that we reflect that glory that he shines on us into our hearts. Second Corinthians 4, 6 says, For God who said, Let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So even as Moses beheld the glory of the Lord passing by, we behold the glory of the Lord in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have to behold him in the Spirit, obviously, because he's not on the earth to behold. We can uh, see him in his word, but for that word to become alive, we need the revelation of the Holy Spirit in our hearts to illuminate our hearts, to take away the veil in our hearts so that that glory can also shine in us. Moving on, God has also endowed us with the spiritual sense of taste. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4, it says, It is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. And so there is this uh, part of that revelation that we behold Christ in our hearts. There's also a sweetness of that revelation that somehow we have this spiritual sense of taste, that sweetness of communing with the Lord. It's not a physical pleasure of taste, but it's that same phenomenon, just that sweetness uh, in First Peter chapter 2, verse 3, he says, You have tasted that the Lord is good. And that's that famous psalm in Psalm 34 where it says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And so there's a sweetness in the revelation of God. There's a, a pleasure. You know, when we think about hearing, we think about communicating. We think about um, interacting with somebody, understanding that when we think about seeing we think about revelation. We think about getting vision. We think about getting understanding. But when we talk about taste, we think about pleasure, enjoyment. And taste can also be, there can be an element of protection in taste. If you taste something and it tastes bitter or, or spoiled or rotten, you know to spit it out. And so taste is part of our discernment 
that God gave us a palate, a physical sense of taste to protect us, that we wouldn't eat anything hopefully bitter or, or spoiled or rotten or poisonous that might hurt us. But likewise, there's a spiritual sense of taste that can protect us from ingesting things that do not have the sweetness of God about them. Things like uh, legalism or license, either one uh, can, can ruin us. And so that's the leaven of the Pharisees. Remember, Jesus warned his disciples to be on their guard against the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And those were two groups of people. One was too legalistic and one was too, too liberal in their interpretation of God's law. And so Jesus warns us against that. And we get this spiritual sense of taste to bring a richness and an enjoyment and a pleasure to our relationship with God and also to protect us. God has also given us a spiritual sense of smell. In 2 Corinthians, it talks about that we are the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. We're the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among the uh, perishing, to one a fragrance from death to death and to the other a fragrance from life to life. And so people who um, perhaps aren't even awakened spiritually, but they can take offense at the fragrance of Christ, and they can reject that. They can take offense at that that sense, that aroma that I don't know if you've ever been out witnessing, but some people are just immediately so hostile for no apparent reason at all, and it's because they, they can't stand that, that aroma of Christ. But praise the Lord to God, we're the fragrance of Jesus in the nostrils of God. So God has given us the righteousness of Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.21, that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God so that when God looks at us, we are blameless. We are above reproach, as Ephesians says, and we are the aroma of Jesus to God. We even smell like Jesus to God. When he looks at us, when he's near to us, he thinks, ah, my son, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Praise the Lord that God is pleased with us because he has given us this gift of righteousness. He has clothed us in the righteousness of God. And um, we also can be this aroma, like the taste of, uh, like the sense of taste, the sense of smell is just something that brings pleasure to life and enjoyment, and likewise can also bring protection. You know, your sense of smell, I didn't appreciate it until I had COVID and lost my sense of smell. My wife lost her sense of smell for uh, close to a year, and it still, still doesn't have it completely, but when she was cooking, she really missed it, and, and she burned a lot more food than she did previously. So our sense of smell also protects us, and it alerts us to the situations around us. And likewise, our spiritual sense, that discernment that God gives us, sometimes we just have a sense that things are not right, and it can be that spiritual sense that we're leaning into, that we have a, an unease in our spirit, and it might be the Lord alerting us to something in Revelation chapter 5, verse 8, it talks about that uh, there are these golden bowls of incense that the Apostle John sees, which are the prayers of the saints. So there's this connection between our prayers rising up like incense before the Lord. Okay, finally, we have a spiritual sense of touch. And I know in some of the newfangled studies on senses, they talk about a vestibular sense, which means your sense of movement and balance. And there's an idea of proprioception, which is the awareness of where your body is and how your body is in space and related to your other parts of your body. But I'm going to lump that 
all under the sense of touch. And in the Bible, we have references to our spiritual sense of touch and our spiritual sense of movement when you think about where it says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood in Ephesians chapter 6, but we wrestle against these spiritual principalities. Or when you think about how Paul talks about walking in the Spirit, these are kind of the concepts of our spiritual sense of touch or balance or or space. And listen to this from Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. He says, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast, that's that sense of touch to grab, to hold on, not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Now, what's interesting to me there is that connection between the sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head, the spiritual sense of grabbing on to Christ and the sensuous mind, the mind that's only informed by the five physical senses or by the the fleshly imagination. And again, it's almost like he points out two extremes, asceticism, which is like the harsh treatment of the body, and going on in detail about visions and and puffed up by your sensuous mind. So there's this harsh treatment of the body with or, you know, separately, there's this over-spiritualization just going on in detail about visions. And Paul is warning them, don't don't go down either of those paths. Just hold fast to Christ. Hold fast to the head. And 1 Corinthians 6, 17, which I've already referenced, talks about that we have been joined with the Lord. So we have this connection. The Bible says that we are joined with the Lord. We become one spirit with him. It's like when Jesus said, I'm the vine and you are the branches, that we are connected with him and he is our source. He's our life source. He is like the marrow in our bones. His spirit is what animates us. And it's that connection with the Lord that brings spiritual life to us. Now, I'd like to close with one example of interacting with the Spirit, and this comes out of Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 18. He says, For you have not come to what may be touched. So you haven't come to anywhere physical. You're not going to a physical place. You're not on a you know, a spiritual pilgrimage to, to any physical mountain, any temple, any physical place. He says, You haven't come to what may be touched a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of the trumpet and a voice whose words may the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. And this is going back to when the Israelites received the law on Mount Sinai, talking about Deuteronomy chapter 4 and 5, 6. He says, They could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was that sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. So he's saying, you are not assembling at a physical place on earth. You are assembling in a spiritual place in a different realm, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So we have arrived at this spiritual place. Sometimes we're not even aware that we're there. Like uh, 
Ephesians chapter 2 says that we've been seated with Christ in heavenly places. And sometimes we don't even realize that we've been seated with Christ, but the Lord says that we have. So we know it must be true regardless of whether or not we perceive it. So we've been seated with Christ. We're in heavenly places. The Bible says that we have access to draw near to God's throne of grace. Hebrews 4.16, he says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So we have access to these heavenly places. Hebrews says that we're there now worshiping with angels. And so this is an example because I was having a conversation with my friend who were talking about living in the kingdom of sons of God, these uh, kind of kingdom living 201. And he was asking me, because he said, man, whenever I worship God, I have this sense that there are angels all around me. And I said, yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly what the Bible says, that we can become aware. Now, we're not worshiping angels like Colossians chapter 2. We just read it. It warns us not to worship angels. I'm not suggesting that we worship angels, but there certainly is an appropriateness to being aware that it's not just us and God. When we come and and engage in the Spirit, we are surrounded by spiritual beings that we cannot perceive with our physical senses, senses, whether it be angels or the cloud of witnesses, those saints who have already gone before, the assembly of the firstborn, that is the church, that God, everyone who God has called, that we are engaging together in this community in the spirit. And certainly when we're, you know, together physically, that's easier to experience and easier to be mindful of. But even if we're not together in a physical place, it is nonetheless still true. And so that's just one example of what it looks like to engage in the spirit and to become aware of spiritual realities that are imperceptible with our physical five senses. It's like a a cell phone signal. If you don't have the proper equipment, you can't tune in and pick up a cell phone signal. But with the right equipment, with the cell phone, if someone dials that number that matches that phone, it can receive that signal and it can be in contact with whoever is calling. And so likewise, we can tune in like a television set, like a cell phone, like a radio. We, We have been equipped to receive these spiritual quote-unquote broadcast, you know, to, to continue the metaphor. But God has equipped us with these spiritual senses, and sometimes they've grown dull because we have not refined them or we have not used them. And so part of kingdom living, part of having a relationship with God who is a spirit is learning how to develop our spiritual senses. So the Lord be with you as you develop your spiritual senses, your spiritual sense of sight and of hearing and of taste and of smell and of touch. And as you engage more, really, uh, so much of this happens through prayer and through being attentive, through creating time. Just like if you wanted to get to know any person, the number one ingredient in building a relationship is time. And so developing our spiritual senses, likewise, will take time. But God bless you as you do it, because uh, the rewards are greater than any of us can imagine. Thank you so much for listening. Flows we hear 
Your tenderness In every star that glows In every cell that grows It's clear Your excellence God, you're beautiful You're so beautiful